I messed something up. Help. 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 I messed something up. Here, scroll up. How do I scroll up? Click again. Not there.
education. We noted we will provide biblical instruction of our living faith built upon our living foundation, which will require manpower and monetary investment and consistent and competent implementation by the body as a whole. Last week, we studied propriety. I should say two weeks ago, we studied propriety, and that is how we behave ourselves one with another. Do we have rules and regulations? Do we have lists and guidelines? And the answer is no, but we have a philosophy on that. We noted in that the philosophy was that we conduct ourselves in biblical modesty with proper manners, always in the spirit of meekness. But we come tonight to our lesson on youth. We have a philosophy of youth, you say, and the answer is yes. And we've got a lot of them around here. That's a good problem to have. Well, let's look into the Bible and see why we should have a philosophy of youth and maybe learn some stuff even from Jesus Christ himself this evening. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. By the way, notice who they rebuked. Them. Not him. That's probably the smartest thing in that sentence they did. Not much else is smart. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not, to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from Father, help us tonight as we look at those who minister and serve in a very needed ministry. That is our youth and children's ministry tonight. Lord, there are families who have come to the church solely because effective and faithful servants fulfill their duty to you in this needed ministry. Help us tonight to see the philosophy behind it so as to help properly motivate and encourage those who are involved and those who would like to be involved. May you be a blessing to all in Jesus' name. Tonight, before we start the preaching, I want to ask this. Would you raise your hand if you have served either with our nursery, our children's ministry, or our teens, or are serving presently in one of those ministries, or you are signed up to begin helping in the next six months in one of our nursery, children, or youth ministries? Raise your hand real high if that's you. Now look around the room. Now when I preach, thank you for putting your hands down, I can tell you this many people have not come to me for counseling. So when I preach in November on our philosophy of counseling, you might be eager to hear it because you want to hear how pastor is going to help you. But this philosophy, this philosophy of youth is going to be very important for you to understand because guess what you do? You do the work of the ministry. This philosophy is the guiding influence. And you say, well, I don't know if I've ever heard it before. We've shaped it and molded it. And as the ministries have grown and become much more robust, we have redefined and defined it. And got it down to a kind of a distilled thought for you. But everything our ministries do in the realm of children and youth ministries is geared towards making young people into disciples of Jesus Christ. Don't be shocked by that. That's our church's purpose. We believe that our purpose is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so if we believe that we're to be making disciples, it's not just big people that we're trying to make into disciples. It's every people uh, that is our, our goal and our target. Our philosophy for this ministry does not deviate from the church's purpose. And so let me give to you, and I put it in the top of your notes, I believe, there, the philosophy of youth. It says this, or it reads as follows. We desire to insulate our kids from corruption 
inspire our kids to sanctification, and inform our kids on transformation. How many of us can say we know what all of those mean? And the answer is by the time we're done, we all should understand that what it means to insulate, inspire, and inform our kids from the corruption for sanctification in the process of transformation from the old life to the new. These ministries that we're talking about tonight and this philosophy that backs each of them is our Sunday school, our nursery, our worship service, those that serve in that time, our VBS, our Bible Adventure Club, and any ministry that revolves around dealing with children. So let's begin with the first statement, and that is insulating our kids from corruption. How do we insulate from corruption? It's Sunday night. We can let the little bit of hair that some of us have down. What does it mean to insulate? Well, let's just deal with just insulation. What does it mean to insulate? If I insulate this building, what does that mean? I'm putting a barrier between. I'm putting a layer between. If you were to take away these panels, some of you are like, I didn't want to answer that because I have no idea about construction. But if you took these panels away and you looked up at the roof, I always get confused. This is the ceiling and that is the roof. The roof that keeps us protected from the elements. Underneath there, there's this white barrier. And it's the insulation. So when the hot, scorching sun is beating down upon the bronze-colored, dark uh, tensioned roof that we have above, it is getting very warm and very hot, and there is a barrier of insulation that keeps that heat up there and a little bit cooler down below it. And then this layer, if you were to take a tile up, it actually has loose lay insulation on top of it. So the idea of insulate is one that in our homes we know. We understand the concept. So what do we mean then as insulating our kids from corruption? Does it mean we're wrapping stuff around them as they go out into the world? And the answer is yeah. We're taking the Bible, the book, the principles of God, and we're trying in our educational philosophy and in the ministry of youth, wherever they are, to wrap God and the Bible around them so that they can go out into the world but not become members of the world. By insulate, we mean to protect from the unpleasant effects or elements. And in this case, spiritually, we mean of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. We do not try to isolate them from the world. I didn't put the word isolate here. I put insulate. We are not a monastery. You're not sending your child off to become a monk when they go to the Sunday school classroom back there. But as you'll see by the time we're done, when you send them into the Sunday school classroom or into the worship hour classroom and the instructors and the folks who are volunteering and teaching your children, they're trying to do this process. Give them information that will insulate them from the corruption that they see everywhere else. It's hard, by the way. When your kids are back there for three hours a week, maybe, under the instruction there, we're hoping you're teaching them some at home because we don't have enough insulation to cover you in three hours. Some kids watch television for three hours per day. We don't have enough insulation to put around them. But our job is to insulate them from corruption. That is the goal of a youth ministry. If that is not a function of the youth ministry in a church, from the nursery to the children's ministry to the teens, if that's not a goal or part of the philosophy, then that ministry is useless. It's 
because our job is to insulate. Our goal is to insulate them from the deleterious effects of living in this rotten, stinking world. And it is rotten, and it stinks more and more day by day. Well, how do we do that? Letter A begins by teaching them to see God. Our job as a church, when you bring your kids in here, is not to refine their manners. Now, they may do that in the classroom. But our chief and primary function is that those kids would see God for who he is. That's what the lessons are geared towards. That's what the curriculum is designed for. That's what those who serve in those capacities. And I am grateful for everyone that serves in every one of those capacities. The best and only insulation for your kids is Jesus. Amen. The church's primary mission is to come alongside each home that each child in a youth ministry represents and assist in introducing those young people to Jesus Christ. We want your young people to know God, to know God's love, to find and discover God's purpose for them, his plans for this world as a whole, and his reason for creating the universe and all that inhabited it. When we can show them that the life of Christ is far more valuable than a life without Christ, we have been successful. Because they see the value of who God is. By the way, understand, this is what we are Stating we are trying to do when we come alongside you. If you aren't trying to help them see God, then we are running a one-legged race in a two-legged field. And we don't get down the track very fast that way. I think equal to or perhaps even better is when we can show the Christian young person who's grown up only and around the Christian life, and that is your preacher's testimony. But having that Christian young person understand in their Christian upbringing that a life full of God's Holy Spirit is better than sporadic periods of his presence and filling. That is our desire. We want them to see God in his full glory. And you say, boy, that's a pretty high and lofty goal for Sunday school teachers. And the answer is, you betcha. It's what I try to do every time I step behind this desk. I never stand up here and say, well, I didn't get anything ready today. Good luck. <laughs> Would you want your Sunday school teachers doing that for your kids? Now, I also know that that might scare away people from being Sunday school teachers. Well, I can't do that. We have curriculum that with good effort, a little time and detail and attention, you can take the material and present. Even if you are yourself still growing in that grace and knowledge, you can present it to a young mind so that they become hungry to see more of God as well. That's the purpose. A second way we insulate is not just in seeing God, but it's letter B, setting guidelines. How do we insulate from the corruption of this world? And the answer is, in the youth ministries, we have to set some guidelines. We will hold to standards that identify right and wrong. Our responsibility as a church is to be different, to be holy, to not be like the world. Now, the kids are getting ready to go a week from Monday to camp. We can't have dress standards. So guess what we will hold to? Their dress standards. They set the guidelines for us, and we willfully submitted ourselves to those guidelines. By the way, 
We have guidelines here. We don't have a list of rules. You know what the guidelines for modesty for the youth group are and for the children's ministry and for the nursery? Now, the nursery is a little different, all right? Long, loose, and lots of it. It's hard sometimes when those babies grow that fast. But that's our philosophy. It's been told two different times in these series of philosophies. Long, loose, and lots of it. Well, why don't you tell me what kind of article of clothing you want my daughter to wear or you want my son to wear? And the answer is, I don't like shopping for me. I'm not going to go shopping for you. But we'll set some guidelines of what is right and what is wrong. So if in a children's class the language is coarse or corrupt, the kids will be kindly corrected. In other words, tonight some of you teachers and helpers are being given an encouraging attaboy for keeping good classroom comportment. That's an old word that just means behavior. Right? I had a teacher tell me one time, one time they said to me, Mr. Bannon, if you don't comport yourself better, I will deport you to the principal's office. And she did. <laughs> I got big red. I got spanked at the principal's office. So I did not comport myself better, and thus I was deported from the classroom at the Christian school. Simply put, we have standards. We set guidelines. If the conversation is unholy, it will be redirected. If it cannot be re redirected, then it will be stopped. The young person will be asked to leave class. Same thing with touching, same thing with other behavior. We've never had a problem with that. Not one time in 14 years have we ever had, a, ever had a problem. It's because the teachers understand my responsibility is to insulate in this room, in this place, in this building. You need to be able to come out of a filthy world into a holy place. Amen. And so we have guidelines. Slang and gutter talk in children and youth classes or activities is not permitted. I have long said the hardest thing for us when our boys were growing up was watching uh, back when it was before it went woke the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Goofy used to say, and I'll say it as Goofy does, "gorsh," but that is another word. It's a slang word for taking the Lord's name in vain. And our kids would say it, and be like, "Oh, don't say it in church. I'm a pastor." <laughs> right? No, I told my kids, "Yo, if you were here this morning and you were listening." You know, I never said that to my kids, right? But we said, look, you don't say that because it's a word we don't use in our house. Here's Goofy on the screen saying it. Parents, remember, when you put your children or in when you serve alongside your children in the children and youth ministries, we're here to help you. But if you're not helping your kids to guard their tongues, the group should not have to suffer for your failure. Yeah. <gasps> That's harsh. You shouldn't suffer because my kids watch Goofy. That's the truth. And vice versa. If the lifestyle or dress is unbiblical, then those choices will be discouraged, not celebrated. Oh, did you see that? They ran out of jeans. Those choices will be discouraged, not celebrated. Well, you know, my family will set the boundary for our home. Yes, that's true. But we have 60 homes with toddlers to teenagers in this place. And it keeps growing. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that. So the church's corporate philosophy may actually be different than yours. That's okay. I, 
what I want to make sure I'm conveying tonight, when we have guidelines and we set them so that we can insulate all of our kids from the influence of the corruption of the world, it's not that, well, the church set that and it was targeted at me. No. It was targeted to keep us all healthy and holy. Well, we don't have a problem with it. Fine, praise the Lord. You know what that is called? I'm going to preach on that a couple Sunday nights in August. Christian liberty. But chapter 5 of Galatians tells us not to use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And so that doesn't mean the church's philosophy is right or pastor's thinking is the only thinking that is good. The point is, is that when we come together, it's the same reason we don't have a honky-tonk singing session in here. It's why we don't have Led Zeppelin playing in here. Some of you young kids are like, who's that? Right? We don't have the smoke and mirrors. I had somebody come in recently, and they looked in our auditorium, and they were visiting to the church, and they said, it's so refreshing not to see a black ceiling. Paper on the drop ceiling actually make it look pretty in here, but the point is that well, it should look like a church. There should be a distinction. There should be something different. And so while your boundaries may be different than the corporate policy or the guidelines that have been set down, understand the church's philosophy will necessarily sometimes be different in some ways than your home. That's okay. It doesn't make you a terrible person and some other family much holier than you. That's pharisaical ever want to get into. We always hope when we have to set guidelines that the kids understand why we're doing it. Honestly, there are times we hope the parents understand why we're doing it. <laughs> you know, you can laugh at that. I won't laugh at that. <laughs> so the first thing that we do as a church is we do youth ministry in the vein of insulating our kids from the corruption of the world. They ought to be able to come into this place and not make it a safe place, but make it a holy place. A place where they can thrive spiritually. The second thing we find is that we are to inspire our kids to sanctification or towards sanctification. The word inspire means to fill someone with the urge to act, to do, or create in a particular way or for a particular reason. Our responsibility as a corporate body is to be inspiring believers, whether they are young or old, to be more like Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Inspiration begins, letter A, with sharing the possibilities. Inspiration is a positive word. There used to be a song, and I, I don't remember which Muppet sang it, but it was Life's a Happy Song. Jasper smiled because every time it would come on our little Pandora playlist, he goes, well, there's Kyle's song. <laughs> life is a happy song. There are very sorrowful days to the life that we walk. But if you know Jesus Christ, you know, number one, that everything, however he chooses to do it, everything will work out for your good. You've just got to stay close to him. And so when we talk about inspiring young people, if you walk into the classroom like Eeyore, good luck. Well, the marker's not working. I don't know how to use the technology. These carpet squares keep coming up. Who messed up my table? Somebody broke the CD player. Hi, kids. Don't you love Jesus? No. The only possibility I see here is of a train wreck. That's not a real positive one. What possibilities do we want to share with our young people when you're in that classroom, when you're in that teaching capacity, 
when you're working as a games coordinator or a helper at DBS, what kind of philosophical things should be in your head and in your heart as to how you want to help these young people? Here it is, chiefly. It is possible to be like Jesus Christ. That's the chief possibility you want to share with them. Sometimes I have to ask if we adults even believe that. If you don't believe that, by the way, you won't inspire anyone else to believe that. We try in every way here at Bluegrass not to divide good kids and bad kids. I recently heard a church and heard of a church where the people in the church literally uh, um, speak of certain kids as the good kids and the bad kids. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, they probably have a reason for that, and I probably don't know all the reasons for their reason for saying that. But the point is, is that when you start labeling a group as the good and righteous kids, that we don't want to be tainted by the bad kids, you have just told those bad kids there's no possibility of hope for you or change. That's tragic. To us, kids are just kids. Yes, some may come from whole homes with parents who are both sanctified and serving the Lord, but... I was a kid in a home like that, and at times I was not so much a good kid. Glad my mom and dad didn't hear me loud enough to say that. As a body, we want to share with every child from every home the wonderful possibilities there are in both loving and serving Jesus with their whole life. That's what we want to share with them. That's what we're trying to inspire in their lives. The great travesty is when kids see confusion or anger or frustration or perhaps even timidity and doubt in the classroom setting. Inspiring people, especially young people, is a lot harder if the teacher or the leader looks as if they need the inspiration themselves to keep going. In other words, when you wake up on a Sunday morning or a get ready on a Wednesday night and it's your time to come in and teach young people, I hope this is never your mindset. <sighs> Here we go. I, I don't think I've ever gotten up to preach. When it's my turn to preach, I've gone, whoa, this is not going to go well. <laughs> now, you all might have thought that, but I've never gotten up and thought that. Our, our goal, our desire is to inspire these young people. Why? Look, the church, honest to goodness, is always one generation from extinction. Now, I know what Jesus himself said just a few chapters before what we just read in Matthew chapter 19, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the idea or the concept of the church universal, meaning there will always be a church on this earth. But there may not always be this church on the earth. And I've watched a lot of really great churches go right down the sewer because the parents stopped and the youth ministries and all of the work stopped actually inspiring kids with the great privilege and possibility of serving Jesus Christ with their Amen. Yeah. By the way, this does not mean you have to be perfect in your leading of the youth or children's ministry that you've been given. But you must be an optimistic believer in the great potential and possibility of God to use anyone and everyone for his glory in reaching others for Jesus Christ. You have to see every young person, boy or girl, no matter their age, no matter their income, no matter their background, no matter their upbringing, that they have as much potential as anybody to do great things for God. Amen. Amen. 
And so we desire to inspire our kids to sanctification. And it begins by sharing the possibility that they can be good. That they can do great things for God. But secondly, in letter B, it's by simplifying the process. Nobody will get on board with a complicated process. I remember one time overseas traveling, and you'll get on this bus and go from this bus to this place and get on another bus and get on a bus, another bus. You know what I did? I held a cab because the bus system seemed overly complicated, and I was not getting on board with that process. The same thing in our church life and ministry. The Christian life is easy to understand, but it takes great effort and attention to do. So it's easy to understand the concept of sanctification. Any of us can explain it that quickly. Become more like Jesus. Be conformed to his image. How simple is the process of sanctification? I put this in here because the teens are getting ready to go to the camp at the wilds, and I heard this decades ago. This is how old this statement is. I don't know who made it. Maybe you two would be able to help us, the, the wild know-hows over here, um, who said it. But it was it might have been Rand Humble. Only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. That is sanctification in the smallest nutshell. Ken Collier said, all right. You got a thumbs up, brother Mike. It is a great, simple statement of what sanctification is. There's only two. Well, I feel like there's nine. Well, there's two. There's one that's right and eight that are wrong. And all of them lead to your selfish decisions. The process of obeying God is really that simple. It is. It is the basis, by the way, this concept of all of our teaching. For every toddler through teenager, our goal is to teach them that obedience to God, to parents, to all authorities, is based upon your choice. Are you going to choose to obey? And everything in the classroom has to go to support that. Everything in the ministries of the youth needs to go to encourage and enhance that. You can openly and eagerly obey with joy, or you can disobey, and it will cause you to fall away from God. It will cause you to fracture your relationships, and it will further make you dissatisfied with the church. And that's what's happening to so many young people. They've not had the process simplified for them. It's just a matter of choice. Sanctification is this simple, according to Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but, here's the opposite, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Please self, please God. That's it. Simple enough for a child to understand. By the way, why do you think we go back into the Bible for our children's ministries and teach so many lessons on character. By the way, if you like that kind of teaching, just hang on till 23. Next year, I probably will be preaching every message on Sunday morning about one of the Bible characters. I, I have been taken with studying Bible characters. I've been reading ferociously about all of these Bible characters, and I am consuming it, and you're going to be the unfortunate beneficiary. 
because I am convinced, I mean, I say that tongue-in-cheek, and I'm inspiring, you know, I can tell, but <laughs> I want you to understand that the people in the Bible are us. They're us. You might be going through an instance where you're Joseph, or you might be going through something that Moses had to endure. You might be tested in your faith like Abraham, or you might be asked to stand in the gap like Esther, or you might be suffering in like early Ruth and see success like later Ruth. Who knows why or for what reason? But the point is, is all of us can find truth in these characters. Why do we teach them to our kids? Because those people had a choice. Do I trust God, or do I trust my own gut and my feelings? And the answer is I'm going to trust God. Simple enough for a child to understand. Make a choice that pleases God, not one that pleases yourself. So we desire to insulate our kids from corruption, inspire our kids to sanctification, and finally, number three, inform them on transformation. We do our best to insulate so that the group is a holy place to come into. So far, we've never heard any complaints from the nursery. Those babies can't talk. But the point is, is that in even those areas, we want them to be encircled by loving ladies who will take care of them in the right way. That's why we do background checks, by the way. We want to make sure that everyone is safe and secure in every capacity. Every part of what we actually do flows from these philosophical ideas. How do we inform on transformation? Well, it's always in the mind. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Okay, that sounds great. How do I do it? By the renewing of your mind. Our mind, before we got saved, was filled with all kinds of fleshly, worldly, devilish things. And the moment you ask Jesus Christ to save you, and from that moment until the day that Jesus Christ calls you home, until your day and appointed hour comes, either by the rapture or by way of the grave, until that day comes, your job, your responsibility is to be transformed into his image, to be changing every day. It's through our mind. Amen. When we renew our mind, we are then able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as we consider this idea of informing our kids on transformation or the process of it, we find letter A, there is a shining of the light. There is a shining of the light. How many know the significance of Psalm 119? How many know what it's known for most popularly? The word of God. Long, finally, there's an answer. The, the holy people, Brother Woody and Jason, said the, whole, the Bible answer, which was, it's the word of God. And you said what I first thought of, it's 176 verses. Yeah. Right? So parents, if you're going to punish your kids, say, go read Psalm 119. <laughs> Good luck. By the way, it is about the word of God. How do we know it's about the word of God? Well, there's a lot of Bible verses that we're going to look at this evening. But the, the whole objective of the writer, when he wrote Psalm 119 was to demonstrate the Hebrew alphabet and its letters. Every eight verses, it's a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So literally, it's about the word by those things that form a word, the letters. 
It's a beautiful psalm. And when you read it, it's got some depth to it. It's rich. It covers the gamut. Here's some verses that we understand from it. And this is the light that is shining. This is the light that we are trying to shine into your lives, into your kids' lives, and that we hope you shine into their lives. Here's Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Well, how do you do that? Well, by taking heed thereunto according to thy word. In other words, how do you cleanse your ways? How do you transform? You listen to the word of God. You come and heed what you read in the word of God. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104 says this. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than mine enemies. For they are ever with me. The next verse every kid should memorize. Read it. Young people, read it out loud. Old people are reading it. The kids need to read it. Old people stay quiet. If you're under the age of 15, read it out loud. Real loud. Go ahead. I hope you show up in Sunday school class next Sunday morning and go, Psalm 119.99. I'm ready for you today, Brother Lawson. Think I'll say that to you, Brian? Man, I loved that verse when I was in school. I walked in one time and told my Bible teacher that, and he gave me nine verses that corrected me. <laughs> he said, when you grow up, Mr. Fanning, you will understand that verse in its wholeness. I still have not grown up. <laughs> the next verse says, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. Think about that. What is the psalmist telling us? The progressive revelation of God in his word has made it so that we have everything that Abraham had, everything that Moses had, everything that David had, everything that was before his day, all those godly saints, we have what they have, and we have more. Amen. Because we have the Bible. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me how sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Then, of course, where we get this point from, verse 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There is no teaching outside of biblical teaching that could go on ever in our Sunday school programs. Ever. There's no teaching outside of biblical teaching that should ever go on in our Sunday morning worship time or our Bible Adventure Club or our VBS. Yes, there's a lot of books and cool and whiz-bang things that we could show or do, but if we stop teaching the Bible, we stop shining the light into their lives and they stop transforming. Only the Bible that can help guide, guard, and guarantee a holy, healthy, and ultimately happy life for that child. There is nothing else I can give to them. There's no sage wisdom of old Pastor Kyle that I can give to them outside of this book that will guarantee a holy, happy, and healthy life for them. It's only this book. 
And I believe that with every fiber of my being because I do the same thing for my kids. Oh, they get some dad fails every once in a while, but they always know that dad's going to bring them back if it's a learning time. Well, what does the Bible say? I don't know. I want to know what you say, Dad. Well, Dad's going to say exactly what the Bible says. And that's what we want our teachers to say as well. Yeah. I don't know the Bible that well. Then learn it. Because we need more teachers. As we keep growing and we keep growing, I don't know if you've noticed it. It's a wonderful blessing. But as we keep growing, there's going to need to be more than 35 or 45 or 70, I think is what I've counted, about 70 to 75 people involved in the nursery, children, and youth. Now that's great, by the way. For a church of 230 or so as we are, that's great to have a third of them involved in the youth ministry. But we're going to need more. Now you know the philosophy. The final piece is showing the love of Christ. It's shining the light of God's word, but it's showing the love as well. I don't mean when they come to the classroom, we want to be loved, right? Be careful of that. I mean we want to show them the agape love of Jesus Christ. Unconditional love. We want our children and our youth workers to always demonstrate the love of Christ and the, and the love that Christ has given to them in their own life. That love is not always affirming their every activity. I don't mean that when Johnny is naughty in the classroom that you say, it's okay, Johnny. I know who your parents are. No, correct them. If they've done wrong, correct them. Sometimes in that classroom, it must be corrected, but the correction must always come in line with the family's primary role as the nurturer and one who admonishes. We are all different types of people with different styles of teaching, but the love of Christ showing through every word, every action, and every activity is what ties together and unites the 70-plus workers across our nursery, children, and youth department. You do not serve the children, you serve Christ. The problem is when we start thinking that we serve the children. By the way, the problem for a pastor is when he starts thinking that he serves the people. My job, my ministry is not to you. My ministry is to God. That keeps it straight in my mind many times when I have to preach messages where the smiles go to this real quick. Right? I'm not trying to make you frown. The old saying from Toys R Us, turn that frown upside down. I'm not trying to turn your smiles upside down, but I know that I serve the Lord. And there's some messages that when I deliver them, need to be delivered. It's the love of Christ and our love for him. Because you love him and he first loved you, you can serve those children gladly. Because you know you're doing it for his honor, for his glory, and for a well done now, good and faithful servant. Transformation of the children comes as the leaders, the teachers, and the helpers themselves are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If you're not growing spiritually, you're not going to be long for teaching in the children's ministry. Not because we'll root you out, but you will be rooted out by God. You as an individual growing closer to the Lord makes you able to teach young or old. Young people or folks uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In closing tonight, for every person who works with our children and our youth at Bluegrass, may we always remember the philosophy as it pertains to our high calling. And that is that we desire to insulate our kids from corruption, inspire our kids to sanctification, and inform our kids on transformation. 
Insulating comes through seeing God and setting guidelines. Inspiring comes by sharing the possibilities and simplifying the process so that they understand how they are sanctified. Informing comes by shining the light and showing the love of Christ with every child, not select children, but with every child that you come in contact with. I'm thankful for each of you that served. And I thought tonight would be a good and fitting time as we go into camp and have VBS and all of these other things to remind, be reminded why we do what we're doing. I'm trying to be inspiring here. Just a little humor. You do a wonderful job, and we look forward to, over the next five weeks, the many activities that we will be engaged in to the glory of God, but for the good of little people in this place. Before we close tonight, I want to show one picture. Uh, you guys can go to the next.